0: For your love is my delight. Is that not the very reason and the very core of what we do here? Is that not the very reason you show up every Sunday to sing and to hear the preaching of the Word of God? Because, brothers and sisters, I pray that worship is a delight to you. A.W. Tozer, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. A.W. Tozer once said, I fear that for the most part people are worshiping worship rather than worshiping God. I fear that they are worshiping worship rather than worshiping God and communing with God. This described the church of Corinth. And I'm afraid that it does describe also churches across the country and even the world that we come not for the delight of God's love we come not for the delight of God we come not to wait upon his word but we come because we're gonna we're gonna manufacture and we're gonna have a good experience I'm I'm gonna walk out of there and I'm going I'm going to do something that that's going to you know it's gonna be about me and about my experience Rather than I am going to meet with the faith family and delight in the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, rise from the grave on the third day, that I may have hope and victory in him and in nothing else. And so what's happened is, is that we have traded the worship of God. We've we've traded delighting in the love of God for the delighting in ourselves. That Sunday morning is really about me. It's really about me. This is the reason why people who wake up on Sunday mornings and don't feel good, they don't come. Because it's really about them. It's about how they feel. And as Alistair Begg says in in one of his sermons that's been floating around on Facebook, it's not what I know. What I know is there's a God who gave his son for me and what i know is he's given me a promise that i that if i wait on him he will fulfill that promise that he has given me and so though i may not feel like it i may come to worship but yet many of us delight in ourselves and so we here in the church of corinth they worshiped in ways that glorified themselves resulting in services that were chaotic and services that were confusing people were speaking in tongues and they were doing so over one another they were prophesying in uncontrollable ways and acting in uncontrollable behaviors which led to the question which leads to the question that you and I must ask what is the proper way in which I conduct myself with the faith family that when we gather can I sing whatever I want can I preach or say whatever I want Is it proper to raise my hands and shout amen? Is it proper to speak in tongues? Can I dance in the aisle and run around? Can I do this or can I do that? There are questions that have been asked. And we continue to ask them to this day. And we want to know, does the Word of God speak on how I behave within the church service? And the answer to that is absolutely. Last week we discovered that the proper content for worship. What the worship service must have. What must be the substance of the service. And so today in part two of when we gather, I want to look at the conduct. And there are three headings for this morning. Paul's concerns. Paul's instruction. And then I want to close out with our choice. Our our choice, our decisions. So Paul's concerns, Paul's instructions and then I want to present a, a challenge, a, a choice to you this morning, to our church. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we read the Word of God. Verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or At the most three, and each interred, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, such as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual, let him recognize that things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy earnestly prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and orderly in an orderly manner. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. Notice first, I want to deal with the concerns of Paul. In this chapter, we are... As we saw last week, he lays out the content. So you're to have a, a teaching and a psalm, and in those days they could, they could have a prophecy because that office was still in place, it's not in place today. We looked at that last week, we, we saw the content. But as we look at the, con, the conduct, you must first understand that what Paul lays out from verse 26 to verse 40 is not an exhaustive list. In other words, that Paul has not given us everything there. He's not laid out everything that we are to do. So, for example, we know that we are to observe the ordinances of our Lord. We are to have baptisms and Lord's Supper. Now, he dealt with Lord's Supper earlier in chapter 11, but he has said nothing here on the issue of baptism. We also know that we are to pray. We know that we are to read the scriptures. We know that we are to take up an offering of the church that it may go forth for the ministry of the church, the ministry of our Lord. And so we know that Paul has not exhausted this list, but what he has done is he's given us three concerns. He's dealing with the church of Corinth and there are three things within this church when they gather that have concerned him. And all three of these things are things that he has written about and we have, I've preached on over the last few months from chapter 11, 12, 13, and now 14. And so I want to look at these three concerns that the, Paul, the apostle brings out. Notice first the issue of speaking in tongues. There in verse 27 and 28, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be uh, by two, or at the most three, each in turn. One must interpret, but if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. So, so here the Corinthians, they thought, as we've learned from the previous verses in the previous chapters, um, that they thought speaking in tongues made them super spiritual Christians. Somewhat what we do today. There are even those who believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. We see that nowhere in Scripture. Matter of fact, Paul is condemning that kind of behavior. Paul is condemning the behavior and the misconception that if you speak in tongues, you th- that, that you are somehow greater than the one who does it. And so they have that misconception, and it led to worship anarchy. Because what would happen is, as they would get into a service, and someone would go, the Lord has come upon me, and then they would speak in tongues. And another one would go, no, uh, let me speak in tongues. And then another one would speak in tongues, and they're all speaking gibberish and things all over one another. Or even if it was a known language, they're still doing it over one another in, in the same time, and they did it without interpretation, it would seem, this is what Paul is saying, because he's going he deals with that. If there's not an interpreter, and I'll explain that in just a moment. And so they had no interpretation, they're doing it all at once, out of order, multiple people doing it, And they're doing it, as verse 28 would imply, they're doing it without self-control. They couldn't control themselves. And so such behavior created confusion within the service. People would come to worship God. They would come to learn. They would come, as Brother Trey just prayed, as we were just saying. Maybe someone had a problem. They came and they needed consolation, as we saw earlier in the chapter. But they, they received none of these things because... Everybody wanted to speak in tongues and show how super spiritual they were. And so, therefore, the one who came genuinely left out with with no profit. They left out gaining no edification. Not to mention that these so-called spiritual Christians were unloving. Let me speak in tongues. No, let me speak in tongues. Let me speak in tongues and consider no one else's participation in the worship. No one else was able to participate. So, so they did not consider the edification of others. And they did not consider others participating in the service. They cared only about their moment and them themselves looking spiritual. But notice in 29 through 33. Now Paul moves from speaking in tongues to his second concern. The second concern was the issue of prophecy. And so there in 29 through 33, he says, Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and may be exhorted. In those first 32, he says, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But here we, we, we are, again, I need to give you a quick reminder. We need to move on from this. Is that the issue of prophecy today is the speaking forth of the word that has been revealed? There is no new revelation coming because the office of prophet apostle has ceased the bible gives no qualifications for those two offices what it does give us is the qualifications for a pastor and a deacon elders and deacons and so so but we can learn from his rebuke and correction here notice that paul implies that those who were prophesying were doing so out of order it was disrupted to the service like those speaking in tongues. Multiple people would, would seek to speak and uh, prophesy at the same time. And they would have multiple people doing. Could you imagine if one person sat down, and another got up, and then another, then another, and you had five to ten people speaking and prophesying, and you would be here all day? Y'all don't want to do that? I told Brother Trey that after this sermon, that starting next week, I would preach, and then he would come up and preach. And then, you know, and then we would just do two sermons and y'all don't want to go there? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. So, so, and so here, the, you, they had multiple people doing these things. He says, you need to keep it to no more than three. So see, we can't have at least three preaching in a service. Amen? Nothing. Really? Come on now. So Paul alluded to, to this back in, but not only that, if you notice, he also implies that these prophets would lose control of what they were saying. They, they would get so revved up with emotion that, that they would say things that were unbiblical. He alluded to this in chapter 12, verse 3. You remember when he said, when he wrote, he said, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Remember that was an unbiblical saying. So, so what would happen is not only were they prophesying in disorder, they were, they were losing control of their emotions. The, when it says the spirits of prophets, not the Holy Spirit, but their inward emotions, their inward spirit, they would lose, they would lose control of and say things that were anti-Scripture, unbiblical. And so we see here that, that, that we see this happen even today in our own services. But then notice in verse 34 and verse 35. We see now the issue of divine order his third concern. He says in verse 34 the women are to keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything let them ask their own husbands at home for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Brothers and sisters if you take this out of context you will do great damage to the to the ladies in our life. You will do great damage to them. Remember what I always tell you a text without context is a con. You take the text, you know, ripping and screaming out of its context, it's going to mean something that it wasn't intended to mean. And we've done that with this. And so we take, you know, people have taken this and said, well, women, you can't speak at all at church, and you can only talk to your husband and do so in your home. That is not the case. You must remember the context. Back in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul rebuked these women who were usurping the role of their husbands. They were, they were wanting to be the head of their household. And so what would happen is they would, be, they would seek to be the head of their household. They would usurp the divine order. They would switch it. So, so the men became submissive to the wife, and the wife was the head. But they brought that into the church. And so now the women were not only usurping the, the, the headship of their husbands, but they were even doing so with their own pastors and leaders in the church. And so if you missed those sermons, you can go back to our website. It was called The Divine Order. There's two sermons there. But in those sermons, we talked about this order that how men and women are equal, but they have a distinct role that God has given them. And so you had these women who were adding to the confusion of the worship gatherings because they had taken the headship of their home. They're now coming into the service and they're going, I can prophesy, I can preach, I can speak in tongues, and not only that, it also insinuates they would publicly stand up and criticize and judge the pastors and leaders of their church and question their own preaching and teaching. And Paul tells them, you are not allowed to do this. You must go home and you must deal with the fact that your husband is the head of your home. And so, and so this was causing you know, confusion within the service because they were seeking self-glorification. So, so we have to understand, Paul's telling the women the same thing he's telling the one who speaks in tongues and those who are prophesying. You don't get to do everything you want to do. There is an order in which we are to follow. And so FBC, let me say this as we, look at, if we see these three concerns. We must understand a very valuable lesson that the Apostle Paul is giving us here. The the corporate worship gathering, what you and I call the Sunday morning service, and we can even extend it into church in general, but the corporate worship gathering is affected by your individual Christian walk with God. I I know that you thought you can do whatever you want out there, But if you come here, it's okay. We're all together, and it's not going to affect anything. That is not the case. Your walk with God and what you do out there affects all of us in here. So take, for example, the misunderstanding of tongues. Because they misunderstood the spiritual gift of tongues, they brought that misunderstanding into the church. Or not even tongues. they, They misunderstood the spiritual gifts in general. And they brought those misconceptions and those unbeliefs, those, those unbiblical beliefs, into the church. And it affected the church. Or how about this one? The desire for self-glorification. That, that that your greater priority in life is not that God is glorified and not that God is worshiped, but that people would glorify you and make much of you. So if that's the way you are out there when you come into the service and we want to make it about God, you say, no, 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 no. Look at how good I can sing. And look at how good my testimony is. And look at how good my speech is. And you want to make the service about you. You want to find a little bit of that spotlight where you go, hey church, look at me. You bring it into the service. Not only that, they disobeyed the divine order of God in their home. And guess what happened? That which was happening in their home began to disrupt what was happening in the church. Ladies, hear me on this. If you believe that you can just be the head of your husband at home, but it will not affect the church, that is not what will happen. If you seek to, to, to usurp the divine order of God in your home, you will do so in the church. You will seek to be the head of the church. You will seek to be the, the pastor of the church. And we see it all the time. And you can trace it back to the home. So so Paul is saying what you do outside the service is brought into the service and it, it tends to mess up the service. And so some of you need to truly examine your lives this morning. Because you may be bringing the very things that you do out there into the corporate gathering and it affects the faith family. Warren Rearsby tells of a story of a church that was building a parsonage. And he said it was taking forever because they had to start over and they had to start over and they had to start over. And to start over. And he said it was a complete fiasco. Why? They couldn't figure it out. Finally, they go to the lumber yard and what they realized was the lumber yard had a different set of blueprints than the contractors had. So they were sending material that did not fit the building. And there are those of you You are bringing things that do not fit the worship of God into the worship of God because it's unbiblical, or it's sinful, or it's improper because it's a misconception. And so we come into the service and we bring these things and it affects the service. Misconceptions and wrong interpretations and wrong worldviews will affect the faith family's worship. Your sin that no one knows about, that you think that because you've kept hidden that it will not affect us. It will come into the service. It will somehow have an effect on the church, on your faith family. Your spiritual growth. You've been a member of the church for 30 years, but you've never grown in Christ. And you think it will have no effect on us. And then all of a sudden there's a vacuum for leaders. We have none. We need men and women to lead. We need, we need people to serve in the church. But yet you have not grown. And so therefore your, your your spiritual immaturity affects us when we need to be up here. You're down here. Your disobedience to the scripture in your home will hurt and create havoc within the church. And so FBC I submit to you this morning that you need to be concerned with what you do out there. Because it will become a concern in here. And therefore, we must examine our life and our beliefs. But not only that, notice Paul's instructions. How does one then go to fix a church that had these concerns? How does a church go to fix and have proper worship gatherings when when there's so much to be concerned about? Notice three things that the Apostle Paul gives. Number one, he gives them order that reflects the God they worship. He gives them order that reflects the God they worship. Notice that the Apostle Paul places an emphasis on who speaks and when they speak. Now the issue of the one prophesying and the, uh, you know, the, the one sitting, that would have been a new revelation. We, we understand that doesn't happen today. So, so, but he's giving order to the one who speaks and the one when they speak and how many can speak. And he's given all of these different things. And, it, and so he's trying to show them, he's trying to break the pattern of the spontaneity. I feel the Lord calling me to to do something. And there's this emotional turning in the stomach and in the heart and this emotion. And so, you know, he's trying to break the pattern of spontaneous speaking in tongues and spontaneous prophesying. It breaks this habit, this idea that one person is more spiritual than everybody else because God gave them a greater desire than he gave you in the service. It always leads to that, by the way. Have you not ever felt that? I have. The Lord spoke to me in the service and He, over, he, he overwhelmed me with this great emotion and I'm sitting here going I, I, I didn't feel it. Does He love you more than He loves me? Have you ever been there? Paul's trying to break that stuff. He's trying he wants to break the, this idea and this, spawn, this disruption that comes to the service. but notice that Paul also seeks not only to, to, to break this, this issue of disruption in the order of service, but even the spiritual divine order of the household. This too must remain in play. So brothers and sisters, that when we gather, the God of heaven expects that the spiritual role and the physical role all must be in order. The physical and spiritual order within the church must be in order. But notice why. Don't miss the reason for this. This is huge. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. see that word confusion means, the Greek word means a state of disorder. Paul connects what is happening in here to the very nature and to the attribute of God. In other words, you're not only to have order, you're to have an order that reflects the God that you worship. In other words, Paul says, if you come in here and you are disruptive and you are acting in wild, uncontrolled behavior, then you are proclaiming that that is the way the God of heaven is. And brothers and sisters, that is not biblical. That is not how we read the scriptures. Think about this for just a minute. Did God not create the universe in six days and rest on the seventh? Was there not a day one and a day two and a day three? Did, did we not read how God divinely ordered the universe in creation? Yes, we do. Pa- Paul connects his worship that, that God is this way, that he is a God of order. Does the Bible not describe that God is a God of peace? That peace is a blessing and turmoil is judgment absolutely we see this. Or how about this one? Did we not see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul said the body is, is made of many members, but God ordered it into one body. So you've got fingers and you've got toes and you've got this these lips and these teeth and mouth and eyes and nose and ear. And it's all these different parts, but God has ordered it into one body. And then he goes on to say, is the church not the same way? There's all these different parts, but God has ordered it into one part, one body. Absolutely. The scriptures teach over and over and over again that the God of heaven is not a God of chaos and he's not a God of confusion and disorder, but he is a God of order and peace and that he desires the people who he lives inside and who bear his image to reflect his attribute of peace and order. Because when you find that, brothers and sisters, you find the spirit of God now don't go too far and think there's to be no life there. There's not to be any joy there because God is a God of life. But ask yourself this morning, does our worship reflect the peace and the order of God? Ask yourselves, when you go to a place and everyone's in complete, utter chaos and utter disruption, is this the God that we serve? Is this the God that the Bible speaks of? Is this the God that I tell people about? But I would even go even further this morning, brothers and sisters, and say that you must begin to examine your own life and see, does your own life reflect the character of God's order and peace in your life? Is your life in complete disruption and disorder and confusion, especially on Sunday? Because the God that you worship and the God that is in you is going to come out of you and express His very nature in you. So here's my question to you, or or here's my challenge to you, rather. But order your life. Get to church on time. You do it with everything else. Come to church. You do it with everything else. But what happens is, Sunday is that one day of disorder. Why? Because your priorities are out of order. Your priorities are out of order. And so therefore, Sunday is a day of disorder because you haven't taken the time to say, God, you are number one. And so therefore, I'm going to order my life to where on Sunday there's going to be order and peace and, not, and a lack of confusion. Now, I understand that Sundays are hard, brothers and sisters, but we go to war and we go to battle. Read the passage. Read the Sunday school lesson. Be prepared for worship. Be ready beforehand before you get here because we do it with everything else. And we do it because those things are a priority, but for some odd reason, we do not reflect the order and the peace of God when it comes to Sunday. Not only that, notice, secondly, the self-control that is spiritual. There in verse 28, Paul tells them, he says, here, you must control yourself. Notice that he tells them, he says that if there is not an interpreter. Now, here, let me, I need to quickly deal with this. Here's how we deal with speaking in tongues. Someone speaks in tongues and we wait and we wait And we wait for that interpretation to come. That Paul says no. Notice what he says in verse 28. Paul says that if he says, but if there is no interpreter. In other words, Paul says if there is not a guy who has the gift of interpretation, you don't get to speak in tongues. So in other words, Bob didn't show up today. So Bob has the gift of interpretation. And so we know it, we've affirmed it, he has the gift. And so we're in revival service and all of a sudden Brother Brian wants to speak in tongues. I have to look around for Bob. I have to make sure before the service even begins that Bob is here. And Bob is not there. You don't get to speak in tongues. But, but you don't understand God. I, I got it. I got this feeling. I got this revelation. I got this message. No. Bob ain't here. But, but I got this feeling and this emotion. Yes, but my word has greater authority than your feeling and your emotions. You control yourself. And if the man who does not have the gift of interpretation is not in your church, then hear me, you are to speak to God silently and meditate. Which, by the way, is what every one of us are supposed to be doing right now. He says to the one speaking in tongues, you control yourself and your emotions and you follow the scriptures, you follow the teachings of the apostle. He does the same thing with prophesying. In verse 32, he says the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. The word subject means to be placed under. And so, so here's what he's saying. The spirit of the prophets, the emotions of the prophet, the inner part of the prophet, not the Holy Spirit, but his inward emotions and stuff, he is to be under subject of the prophet. In other words you are to have control. Brother Brian, preaching right now, has to have control of his mind and his thoughts while he's preaching to you. This means that a preacher's emotions and feelings must be under control and he must not allow them to carry him away. John MacArthur says it this way, The Bible knows nothing of out-of-spirit or out-of-mind revelations. God does not bypass a man's mind to reveal or to teach the Word of God. There are no ecstatic, bizarre, trance-like experiences related to divine action or the prophet. This is demonic. But, but, but Brother Brian, I had an experience, or you know someone who had an experience, right? I know someone had an experience, and, and they just lost control of themselves, and the Spirit of God was all over them, and man, they were just revved up, and they were going, and God was all over them. They just lost control, and it was really the Spirit of God. Absolutely not. How do I know this? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We have believed a lie, brothers and sisters, that to lose yourself in worship is spiritual, but to have self-control is anti-spiritual. But the Word of God says that if the Spirit is in you, you will control yourself, even in worship. So here's the thing. Either the one who loses control is lying, or God is a liar. Either the one who has lost control in the service is a liar and the truth is not in him, or God is a liar and the truth is not in him. Because God has said that a very fruit of of myself, the very fruit that I produce in you is self-control. And we see this with preachers all the time who get up here and they get revved up and they just begin to say things and they lose complete and utter control of themselves. Self-control was the fruit of the Spirit. It is a, it is a work of sanctification in your life. Being spiritual, brothers and sisters, is not letting your emotions direct your actions because the Bible tells us that the heart of man is evil and wicked and you cannot trust your emotions. You cannot trust that which comes from the heart. Being spiritual is putting your emotions under control, letting the scriptures to direct your actions. And so therefore, self-control should mark every Christian believer on Sunday morning. Again, don't go so far to say that you can't raise your hand and you can't say amen and you can't enjoy yourself. Don't go so far to say that this means lifelessness because God is not a dead God. That is a sermon for another day. But we see here that self-control marks the Christian on Sundays. It marks my words, that I control the words that come from my mouth. That what is coming forth from me, brothers and sisters, is that which is biblical and do not go against the scriptures. My behavior does not reflect a God of disorder and a God of chaos, but it reflects a God of order and peace. You must control your own criticisms. You come in here and you didn't like a song and you just walk out. Well, I hated that. It happens. We want to talk about other denominations and how they lose control. You lose control of your tongue and you lose control of your thoughts. You just say whatever comes to mind. Well, that was just a horrible service. I didn't like that at all. And so and so is this and so and so that. You lose absolute control when you say whatever you want with no consideration of other people and loving other believers. Or how about this one? I can't sit there and listen to a sermon that goes over 20 minutes. I just can't do it. Because you have no control of your mind. You have no control because you do it with other things. And the Spirit of God is in you and He produces in you self-control that you are able to come and you are to take control of your thoughts and your mind and you are able to focus on God. Brothers and sisters, we, true spiritual maturity is seen when the Spirit that is in us helps us and leads us to control ourselves but there's a third thing that the apostle Paul gives us here accountability to the scriptures notice verse 29 he says let two or three prophets speak and let the prophets pass judgment let the others pass judgment this is a call to pass judgment it it means it means a call to accountability to the scriptures again notice that he says that in verse 37 if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual let him recognize that the things which i write to you are the lord's commandment in other words we have people who come and say well i know the word says this but i don't believe that i'm going to say this or i know or people come in and they just get revved up and they just start saying things that they don't really know and they just they just start saying stuff that's is unbiblical no there is an accountability within the church you are to hold me accountable I know that if I was to get up here this morning and tell you that there's no such thing as the Trinity, that Trey Etheridge would be waiting for me in my office to hold me accountable. And not just him, but many others of you in here. I don't know if I would make it to the office. I may get drugged to the office by some of you. But here's the deal. We are to hold one another accountable. And yet, we have lived... we have. Going into an age where we just allow people to say and do whatever they want to do in the church service because they're genuine, because of their emotions. Yet Paul is saying, here's the thing, if what you want to do goes against Scripture, if that song goes against Scripture, if that testimony goes against Scripture, if, if what you want to do in the service goes against tri- Scripture, you are not to be recognized. We are not to allow you to speak or to do or even consider you to be a spiritual person. Why? Because we are held accountable to the scriptures. We are accountable that the preacher is is accountable for saying things that are biblical and meaningful and profitable. We are accountable to what we sing, that, that the solos that we sing, that before you ever sing a solo, brother, sister, I would ask you, is it scriptural? I would ask you, does it magnify God? I would ask you, is it a doctrine? Does it magnify a doctrine of the Bible? I would ask you, does it magnify the person and the work of God? I know that it has a cool tune to it. But we are proclaiming God and reflecting God. And God is not just a God of cool tunes. God is a God of, of great reverence he he is a god of order and truth so is it scriptural does it magnify these things beloved we are held accountable to our behavior to one another that we are loving to one another that we are considerate of one another within the service and most importantly this morning hear me on this we are accountable to the gospel of jesus christ our lord that if you, if all of us come here this morning wanting to glorify ourselves and we want to move away from Scripture, inevitably, brothers and sisters, hear me on this: when you begin to move away from Scripture, so that you can have a better experience and more emotions and high and all these, and when you move away from the Scriptures, you move away from the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, what happens is, is no one gets to come into the service who do, who is an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus. It gets to come in and hear the Gospel of how Jesus Christ died for their sins. How they are under judgment. How they are under sin. And Jesus died for their sins. How he paid the price for their sins. That they may be reunited with him through his life. Through his death and through his resurrection from the grave. That if they would repent come to him. And I would say to you this morning that if you are an unbeliever this morning, that if you've been listening to this sermon and you go, well, none of this stuff means anything to me, maybe it's because, brothers and sisters, is that for years, maybe you have been focused on the service and not focused on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your delight is not in Christ because you are not saved. So hear the gospel this morning. And no, I would implore you, hear the gospel and come and be saved this morning. Christ died for you. And we are accountable to tell you of Christ's death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We must have order that reflects the God we worship. We must have self control that is the fruit of the Spirit. We must have accountability to the Scriptures. And so, brothers and sisters, that leads me to the last thing. What will your choice be? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read this to you. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul has already laid out for us in chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to what he says. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Brothers and sisters, our worship gatherings will be tested. God will test them. I believe God is testing them. And the question that you and I must ask this morning is, will it stand? My hope is that we are all left with a conviction this morning to practice God-honoring worship, to seek to honor God in our worship gatherings by following the guidelines laid out in the scriptures. But FBC, hear me, I know the temptation that you face because I face it too. I know the temptation you face because I face it too. I I too want to come in and experience a great something. I too want to come in and feel and leave out with great emotion. I too want to come in and this place be overrun with three, four, five hundred people. I know the temptation that you face because it is my temptation. And it tempts me to manufacture for you An emotional, entertaining experience. Where you and I lose control. But I know this. That it will be tested with fire one day. I know this. I know the promises of God. And so therefore I submit to you this morning. That true spiritual worship. True worship that honors God. Is not. A worship based in emotion, built on emotion, built on entertainment, and built on experiences. Instead, the true worship of God is a worship that is beautiful. It is a worship of beauty that comes from faithful obedience to the scriptures. Look at verse 40. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Notice the word properly. Properly. It means with decency and neatness. It means beauty. Paul says entertainment is not beautiful. Experiences are not beautiful. Emotions are not beautiful. Do you want to know what is beautiful though? A bunch of people who were dying and going to hell. Who had no hope. Until God sent his son and through his great gospel they have been redeemed to him and they gather out of the great love for God and they gather over faith with faithful obedience to the scriptures Paul says that's beauty the people who had nothing who have been given everything by God and they faithfully obey God when they gather and so i implore you fbc that when we gather May our desire be to reflect the beauty of God. Faith rather than entertainment. Scripture rather than experience. And the order and the self control rather than our emotions. To approach God, FBC, with beauty and honor and reverence. We have a choice. You have a choice. And you must make this choice and know that it will be tested. And my prayer is, is that if anyone can say anything about the worship of First Baptist Church, it is this. It is beautiful. Let's pray.